So today I'm here with um, Fred Wilson in New York City and um, pretty interesting office space. I'm going to uh, see if I can convince Fred to let me take a photo. It's, um, it's a little bit like a kid's playroom in here and it's, it feels very creative. So just to kind of give you the context, um, Fred, thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for uh, doing it. So um, Fred, maybe you can just start off and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. I am a venture capitalist, which means I invest in startup companies. I've uh, been doing that for 23 years now, and uh, this is the third venture capital firm that I've worked with. I've started two, including this one, and uh, we invest in web services companies. So that means that any business that is built from the ground up to exist on the web and pretty much only on the web uh, is something that we would consider investing in. And uh, in addition to that, I write a uh, pretty well-read weblog called ABC, and I uh, also uh, am, uh, I guess, a, uh, a fan of new technologies and uh, I'm constantly uh, interested in what the next big thing is. Um, I'm an avid reader of your blog, so... Um for anyone who's interested in it, it's abc.com. I was telling a friend about it last night, and actually, for me, it's the number one blog on the web. Um, the insight and stuff that comes out of Fred's blog is not not stuff that I, I find anywhere else, so good job on that, and that's kind of one here. I've been stalking you for quite a while now. Thank um, you. <laughs> maybe uh, tell us a little bit about how you got your blog going. I mean, Well, the you know, I've always felt that, particularly uh, investing in web services, the best way to uh, be a good investor in web services is to be a, an active user of web services and always trying to uh, find and use the most novel and innovative new things that are getting launched on the web. That's a big part of what I try to do every day. And back in 2003, I... Uh, had been hearing a lot about weblogging. It, it had been going on in, in some way, shape, or form for three years by then. And uh, I was at an event uh, that Nick Denton uh, threw. Nick Denton is the uh, owner and, and uh, creator of Gawker Media, which is a, a media company built on top of about uh, seven or eight um, popular weblogs. And Nick uh, had a party and had invited... Uh, the founders of Six Apart, Mina and Ben Trot, to the party, and I was talking to Mina, and she told me that they were launching a hosted version of their movable type platform. Um, so in the early days of blogging, there were platforms like um, Blogger and Movable Type and WordPress, um, and then they came out with hosted versions, which meant that you didn't even need to install any software. Blogger was the first web service that was really truly hosted and then and then um, Six Apart launched Typepad and, and so she convinced me to try blogging and next day Were, I, were you naturally a writer? I mean you, had you been writing before then? No. It was it hard for you? I mean you, you, you turn out a lot of a lot of writing now. Yeah I, I it's something that I just started doing uh, it's uh, it didn't um, I, I hadn't been a writer for public consumption ever before. But you knock out 200 to 1,000 words every single day. I mean, that's like yeah. Ernest Hemingway, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. I'd put you as Ernest Hemingway, but you know, you write intelligent stuff, and that's that's non-trivial. Yeah. Well, that's what I found was possible. 
Writing on the web is a little easier because it's instant. Right? You go, you write something, you hit publish, you're done. Right. Um, there's no editor, there's no no printing required, and and you get instant feedback. So, so I just started doing it, and I decided that I would try to write every day. You know, did you have like a dead blog with no feedback initially? Or did you have people post? I right had away? people. I had people giving me comments pretty much right away. I mean, it'd be interesting to go back and look at the first twenty or thirty posts that I wrote. September and October of 2003. Um, it would be interesting to look at that and and see you know what kind of uh, engagement I was getting. But I think I was getting three, five, ten comments every post. I so wrote. you had traction right away. So you were already like a brand in the New York City community, I guess. And so people were coming to. I think what it was was that I was a venture capitalist. I mean, I think I think what it is is I'm a venture capitalist, and what it always has been is I'm a venture capitalist. There's a lot of entrepreneurs out there who want to be successful raising money from venture capitalists and being able to read the blog of somebody who's on the other side of the table I think has always been um, a great value proposition for the entrepreneur. So I think I was fortunate in that regard. There was a there was a built up native audience for what I was writing from day one. And then I think what happened is just you know, I tell people if you show up every day and there's a new post on the blog every single day, you will create an habitual readership who will come every day and see what the latest thing that you're writing about is. It doesn't take that long to read one blog post. You can do it in 30 seconds or a minute. So it's not a whole lot of time commitment for people. And, and then people build that habitual readership. Um, and, and, that, and then if you just keep feeding it, then, then you've got something. I think also my writing has gotten a lot better. So now I, uh, I've written almost 5,000 posts. Yeah, and each post is 400 to 1,000 words. So, but I, but so I, I know what it takes to, to write a good post now, and I can bang one out in about 20 to 40 minutes. You might be ready for a book. You know, get an editor on it and turn the best post. Into I it. have been, I have been offered um, book writing opportunities consistently for the past probably three years. And I always turn them down because what I tell them is that a book has an ending and a blog doesn't. And I would not know how to end a book. <laughs> Go read the blog. Exactly. Why do the book then? <laughs> yeah. No, it's another, I mean, if you, if you had a book of your best, see, here's what happens. Um, I, when I was telling my friend about your blog last night, he's never heard of you, doesn't care about who Fred Wilson is. And um, I was like, I read the blog. And the blog, when you look at it, it's not very impressive. Right, I mean, it's just you know a blog with not that great of a layout. You know, all due respect, it's it's nice, but it's not that amazing. I was like, look, it's not something you see like right away. You have to like go through and read a lot of the stuff, and then you really get what's going on. Um, as you say, you have five thousand back posts. If you had the very best posts right. turned into a book, I mean, I'd buy it. Yeah, I understand anyway. that, um, and and you know, I think I just have sort of a principle. Uh, you know, I invest in, in web services, not publishing companies. Mm. So I, I kind of like to do my business on the web. Fair enough. Um, I'm interested in the um, New York City tech scene. You're, mm -hmm. you're a part of it. Um, I went to an event last night, um, the, the tech meetup. Yeah, that's a big deal now. Um, I was here, but I was well. I was in. Um, I went on Geeks on the Plane with Dave McClure, right? And so I was blown away in Tokyo, where there was 200 people in a room for you know talking about tech stuff, and really, really impressed. I lived down in Santo Domingo, and uh, I've been telling people down there we need to get something started in Santo Domingo. 
So um, this thing last night, I'd expected you know 150 people. So and there was I think probably 700 people. I I think they've had more than a thousand at those. It's a it is and a sharp people. They weren't dummies. I mean these were yeah. Oh, and not only that, but you know they broadcast the uh, meetup now live uh, over the internet. So we have a group of people that come here and hang out and watch it uh, live uh, in our conference room. Hmm. And so we got another 10 or 12 people who are checking into those meetups here. And so there's probably another. 20 or 30 groups like that that are doing it. So, so there may well have been a thousand people who were um, engaged with that meetup last night live. It's a real happening, and uh, I'd say when people come to New York and they say, "I want to connect into the tech scene," the first thing I tell them to do is go to the tech meetup. Second thing I tell them is to join Next New York, which is a group of um, entrepreneurs and and people who work in startup companies that that have a much more regular uh, meetup thing. They do sports. You know, they play dodgeball together. Or they they play baseball together or softball together. So next New York is kind of more of a. It, they do meetups too, and they have subgroups and, and it. But it's very active and and um, there's meetups uh, now. Uh, there's lots of hackathons where people get together and hack Facebook apps or iPhone apps, Android apps, um, Twitter apps. There's um, Meetups around different uh, areas. People interested in cloud computing or um, hacking education. You know, lots of different things that that people are interested in here in New York. And there's a pretty vibrant community. It's not the same as uh, what you have in San Francisco because the the startup culture, the start, startup community in in San Francisco Bay Area, all the way down um, the peninsula, is probably five to ten times. Uh, the size of, of this community. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's just the density of people who are working in startups uh, in, in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley is, 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 is just... It's different, though. I mean, I was talking with guys about it last night because I lived out in, in Silicon Valley and I didn't find it very fun to live there. Um, well, it's not fun because everybody's maybe it's because everybody's into that. Whereas here, there's a part of the world is in that, but then there's like normal people too instead of just nerds. I think there's a couple couple differences. One is Silicon Valley, the peninsula itself, is the suburbs, and in a suburban lifestyle, you're driving around in cars. It's kind of family driven, and it's it's a little bit less. Um, it's a little. It, it's not as, as hyperactive as the urban lifestyle. Um, so, so what you have here in New York is you've got a fairly dense population and people are bumping into each other on the street all the time. It's a little bit more go- going on in the coffee shops and restaurants and bars um, here than what you have in Silicon Valley where it just permeates the entire culture. In Silicon Valley, you go to your kid's soccer game on the weekends and there's going to be three VCs and ten entrepreneurs on the sidelines cheering on their kids. Here in New York, that doesn't happen. I, go, I went to my son's soccer game yesterday afternoon. There was nobody at that soccer game that was in technology industry. On the other hand, um, there is this really vibrant culture. The place that I go to, coffee shop I go to, many mornings, uh, uh, there's, there was two other VCs and probably ten entrepreneurs having breakfast there today. So it's, it's a little different in the way that the, the, the communities um, work, but... But there's a really important uh, uh, and, 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 and critical mass of uh, entrepreneurs working in New York now. So why do you stay here? I mean, you're an ambitious guy. Why don't you move to Silicon Valley and do even better? 
Well, I, 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 are you sacrificing by living in New York? Do you think? I don't feel like I'm sacrificing. Um, no, I don't feel like I'm sacrificing by living in New York. There's a couple of things about that. I live here. Uh, my family's here. I've lived here for the past uh, 26 years of my life, and and I like it here. Uh, and I've been able to be part of two, I think, pretty influential venture capital firms. Uh, we have backed uh, many, many interesting companies um, on the web. And uh, it's true that I have, haven't been able to invest in a bunch of great companies that have gotten built out in the Bay Area, but I don't really feel like that has cost me hugely. And, uh, and all things being equal, I kind of prefer to do it the way I'm doing it. Well, but my feeling is now that you're, the influence you're getting with your blog and the investments you seem to be getting are all over the country now, and maybe it's even mattering less just because of the strength of the internet and then the, the, you know, the, the brand that you're starting to build. Would you agree yeah, with that? We, we can win deals in the Bay Area. Uh, my partner and Albert and I were talking about a deal just now, right before we started this interview, that's based in the Bay Area. They have multiple term sheets, and the entrepreneur told us that... Um, um, they'd rather have us. So, it, 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 uh, now, there are some great venture capital firms in the Bay Area, and we do get beat by them. So I'm not saying that we can, we're the best venture capital firm in the country. That's not my point. My point is that we can be competitive anywhere in the country as a venture capital firm if we want to be. And I think some of that is due to the blog. Some of that is also due to the portfolio that we built. I think we have... Um, invested in a lot of really interesting companies. And when entrepreneurs look at that list of portfolio companies, I think they say, hey, these guys are smart. You know, they understand this business. They picked a lot of winners. I'd like to work with them. Yeah. And so we have that now, and I think that makes us a, uh, I think that makes us a top-tier venture capital firm. How does that help you do deals for your, your guy or support your guys? I mean, one example that I find interesting is like you're running this Discuss? Yes. I've never discuss. Some people, some people call it discus and some people call it discuss. Yeah. Daniel, who's the founder of the company, co-founder of the company, the CEO, uh, says discuss. Okay. So that's what I say. So um, you run discuss on your blog, which therefore all the commenters on your blog start getting used to. And right. as soon as a new feature's there, like we see it. And so naturally, I've just started putting that onto my blogs. And right. it just kind of follows really easily. So you're getting customers for the... The company without even really trying. Discuss is a great example of a company that I think we can help and have helped possibly more than any other venture capital could, firm could. Um, and and because we have a, a focus on social media, because I have a, a high-profile blog, because I really understand the power of comments and I engage heavily in the comments, we can we can show thought leadership and and lead by example with our support of that company, and so that our support is more than just money. Um, and when I, I was on the phone with Daniel last night for about 40 minutes, and we were talking through a couple of big strategic issues, and um, it was like he was talking to one of his top customers, because I use the product, I'm a power user of the product. And it's also like he was talking to his product manager, because we were talking about features and functions, and should we do this first, or should we do this first? And I just don't think that there's that many VCs who could do that for him, that company. So we are probably the ideal investor for that company. And, and that's one of the things we look for, is what are the companies out there that we can help more than any other venture capital firm, where we are the single best investor for that company. And when we find those, we try to invest in them. 
because those become franchise investments. Someday, I, I think Discuss will sell for a lot of money. And, uh, and then when people look at that and they'll say, those entrepreneurs did a great job. And the entrepreneurs should and will get you know, the majority of the credit for that investment. But to the extent that any, in, any credit accrues to the venture firm, it'll accrue to us. And everybody will understand why we were you know, very uh, impactful for that business. I'm curious, as you talk about these things related to entrepreneurship, um, and being an investor, why aren't you an entrepreneur? I mean, you, you are obviously an entrepreneur, but why are you not building companies rather than funding them? Because you're obviously excited about the product development process and the stuff that goes with it. You know, I became a VC too early, I think. You know, I, I got out of business school and decided that I wanted to be a VC and went into venture capital. And I think that was a mistake. I think I, I could have been an entrepreneur and probably should have been an entrepreneur and didn't know it. But now... The entrepreneurship I do is starting venture capital firms. This is the second venture capital firm I started uh, and getting involved very early on with companies and, and supporting entrepreneurs. I feel like that, you know, I'm taking a fair amount of risk when we make our investments. We're taking financial risk, taking reputation risk, and, uh, and I get a lot of the value that entrepreneurs get um, from doing that. So I feel like... How do you mean you're taking reputation risk? Well, if we if we invest in a company that blows up and and uh, and you know ends up being a really bad company, um, you know I think people will um, blame us for being involved in that. So that's that's reputation risk. Mm. Fair enough. Um, in in the New York scene, um, when I was asking some guys about um, you and the firm last night. Their eyes were like lighting up when they were talking about Fred Wilson. They were like, you're, you're kind of a, an important guy, I guess, in the local community for them. And they, one of the, the comments that came up was the leadership and the, the things that you've driven here. Um, and they wanted to know what else, what, what do you think you should be doing more of and what, do, what should they be doing more of to help grow the local community? We've got to create some big companies. The biggest problem we have in New York is there hasn't been a Google or a Facebook uh, or a Netscape or an Amazon or an eBay scale company to come out of New York. The closest is DoubleClick, uh, which Google bought for $3 billion. And DoubleClick really is the ad server for the Internet. I really believe if you look at the Internet, it's like an operating system. And, and an operating system ships with you know hundreds, maybe thousands of features and functions in the operating system. The Internet ships today with a bunch of stuff. The search... The search function in the Internet operating system is Google, and you know the auction function is eBay, and the payment function is PayPal, and the e-commerce function is Amazon. Well, the ad server function is DoubleClick. So, you know, we have had a company that scaled um, at Internet scale and touches, billion, you know, maybe not billions, but certainly hundreds of millions of users every day, and and so. Um, that's great, but we haven't really built a consumer-facing internet brand here in New York of that kind of scale, and uh, so that's what we have to figure out how to do. We have a few companies in our portfolio that have a chance of doing that, um, uh, and so uh, you know we want to try to make that happen. Why do you think it hasn't happened yet? What's New York missing? Well, uh, some of it is time. Uh, I think the internet. Uh, well, the the startup scene in New York really didn't get going until the late 90s. 
So we're maybe a dozen years into it now. And, uh, and, and you know, go back to Silicon Valley, you know, which got started in, in the 60s. And, you know, by the early 80s, they'd had a few companies of that scale. Intel, um, you know, probably a couple of others. Um, but, you know, Silicon Valley has really kind of hit its, you know, stride in the second and third decade where they're knocking off, knocking out, you know, three, four huge scale companies a decade. And, um, and so I think New York uh, is now into its second decade as a, as a startup culture. And I think, you know, this is the decade we've got to start doing it. And so that's part of it. Uh, and, and in the second part of it, which is related, is that we don't have the um, we don't have the role models here. And role models can be companies or role models can be entrepreneurs. But it takes um, it takes a belief in yourself and the and the thing you're working on um, that is uh, that can withstand a lot of pressure. Uh, to, to get a company that scale. Google could have been bought uh, by Yahoo or somebody else. Um, and if it weren't for the fact that you know nobody was willing to pay them enough money, um, they would have been. But they stayed independent and now have built a, a huge scale opportunity. That's the story of a lot of these though, right? Like Facebook could have been bought and Twitter could have been bought. I'm not sure Twitter could have been bought. I don't think that anybody... Uh, and inside the Twitter management team, really ever had any interest in selling the company. Not really. But uh, but but it is true that that you know Yahoo had a handshake deal to buy Facebook for a billion dollars, and uh, they renegotiated it, and and that gave Mark the opportunity to to rethink whether or not he really wanted to do that, and and he walked away. So um, yes, Facebook could have been bought, Google could have been bought, and 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 yet um, they weren't, and they went on to be. Uh, these, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 billion dollar companies, and and now the world looks up to them as as uh, examples of what you can do as a technology entrepreneur. I think in New York we've been a little quick to uh, we. I'm saying we. I'm not talking about Union Square Ventures necessarily, but we as a as a community of entrepreneurs and investors have been a little quick to to you know take the first uh, you know opportunity to get cashed out. And uh, have not necessarily been patient and taken the the ten plus years that it takes to to build an internet company. Someone I was talking with last night made that point actually in a different way. He said that New York's more of a transactional city and Silicon Valley is more about building a big vision. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think that that is changing and will change. This is a culture that's demo, that, that, that's dominated, um, well, you know, partially by by Wall Street, which is a highly transactional culture. And uh, and so, you know, I think that, that, that everybody likes getting a payday in this town. And it's an expensive place to live. Money matters. You know, if, if, you, if you say, oh, I own, you know, 20% of Twitter, which is worth a billion dollars, you know, nobody cares because they don't, they don't know why Twitter's worth a billion dollars. Right. Or even if it is. And I'm not, and I'm not suggesting that it is. But if you say, you know, I manage a billion dollar hedge fund, you know, they're like, wow, that's amazing, you know. So, so it's just a different kind of, uh, different kind of community. But, it, but, but it's changing, and people start, you know, people starting to care a lot more about the entrepreneurs and the investors in technology companies here in New York. The reality is, our mayor is an entrepreneur. Right. You know, Bloomberg is 
probably the greatest startup to come out of New York in the past 50 years. Mm. But nobody really thinks of it as that because he never took any outside investment, built it all himself. It's, it's kind of a, a company that's very of Wall Street in a way that you know Google and Amazon and eBay aren't. Mm. That's an interesting comparison. Um, I was, one, one of the other comments I got last night was about Etsy and that Etsy is a company's like... It's a, a company that you funded. The um, the main, I guess, the founders have left, and it's a new team. And like, it seems like that's gone through some tough times. Do you have any comments on what's going on there? Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that Etsy's having going through tough times if you were looking at their financials. So the thing that's amazing about Etsy is that um, from the day we invested over three years ago, every month the revenues go up and up and up, the profits go up and up. The number of sellers in the service goes up and up. The number of buyers in the service goes up and up. So if, if you were just looking at Etsy as, as a set of financial statements, the way maybe an analyst on Wall Street would look at it, you would conclude that this is a fantastic uh, investment, and it has been a fantastic investment. But it is also true that Etsy has gone from being a founder-driven, highly creative, um, chaotic culture um, to one that's run by seasoned experience management that um, is not necessarily quite as um, entrepreneurial as as the founding team was. And part of that is growing up, and part of that is realizing that when you are running hundreds of millions of dollars a year through your marketplace and you have hundreds of thousands of sellers who are now earning a some of their living or maybe all of their living on your service, you have an obligation to keep the website up and to generate as much money for these people as you possibly can and all of those things. And so companies, you know, companies are like kids. There's the there's the childhood years where everything is a possibility, then there's the ugly adolescence where, you know, the the child's trying to figure out who they are and there's tension with the parents and, and then they come out the, the back and they end up being great adults. And you know, Etsy I think has gone through the ugly adolescence, and I think it's now an adult, and and it's it's a different person or company than it was as a child, not as creative necessarily, but in many ways much better business. Do you think? I mean, some of, some of the, the big successful companies over over a long period of time have almost needed to have their founders around, like Oracle with Larry Ellison, Microsoft with Bill Gates, and to me one of the most interesting ones is Apple with Steve Jobs. I mean, he went for a while. Right. Um, he, the, he was having a tough time. He got replaced, and he's come back. And obviously, that's a big success story. Do you think some companies have the the, the personality the founders need to be there to keep things running long term? Well, it's certainly much better uh, if the founders can find a way to stick around and continue to be either an active member of the management team, possibly the CEO, or if not, you know, an executive chairman type role where they continue to be hugely influential in the company. That is Dave Morgan who built Dakota, at some point turned Dakota over to Kurt B. Brands but remained an executive chairman. Stephen Johnson, who started outside in, has stuck around as an executive chairman while Mark Josephson runs the company on a day-to-day -day basis. And in the case of Etsy, you know, it would be great if um, the founder of Etsy, Rob Kalin, you know, really wanted to do that, but he has two other startups he's working on now. and. Honestly, you not know, every founder wants to stick around and be part of the management team when the job goes, you know, from creating the opportunity to to kind of um, 
maximizing it. Maximizing it, optimizing it, I guess mm-hmm. is the right way to put it. And you know, Rob's young. You know, he's 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 in his late twenties and he has so many great ideas that in some ways I, I would argue that you know the best thing for Rob is to is to move on and and, and work on on new stuff because he has two new ideas. He's starting two companies right now, both of which are really big ideas. So, you know, for him that's the right thing and he's still on the board of Etsy and I think he's still providing a constructive um, role there, but 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 clearly not not as active of a role as, as some of the other founders in our portfolio. Hmm. Um, so the question that obviously a lot of people are going to have for uh, you is like how how do how do they how do you give them money? And I, I know that's not a simple thing, and but that's the question you get asked a lot. So I should ask that on behalf of yeah. the people listening. Well, I think the best uh, advice that I can give to people is is build a relationship with me, get me excited about what you're doing before you ask me for money. Hmm. And that's hard for people because. Um, you know, they they need money, right? So to say to them, well, I want to get to know you. I want to be able to follow what you're doing. I want to watch how you're executing. I want to see you launch something. I want to see other people using what you've launched, and then I'll give you money. You know, that that's a lot of hurdles that they got to jump over just to get get me to write a check. So a lot of people will say, you know, no thanks. I don't want to. I don't want to go through a, a year or two year long dating experience. Um, but you know, a good example of this is Abner Ronan, who's the CEO, founder of Boxy. Abner came in here now two years ago with the idea to create um, a piece of hardware that would go in your media center in your living room that would connect your media center and your TV to the internet and provide services on that. And the software that ran inside of the box was actually quite interesting to me, but I didn't want to be in the hardware business. So I said to him, you know, I don't really like this hardware business model and, you know, um, there's probably some VCs out there who do, so maybe you should go talk to somebody else. But he stayed in touch and about nine months later he came back to me and said that they decided to get rid of the hardware and, and be an open source software company. So that excited me and I said, well, you haven't launched yet, so why don't you launch it? He, he launched it. He came back to me about three months after that and said, "Got 100,000 people who are using this. You know, I installed it. I started using it, and eventually, within the next three months, we were investors." So, you know, Abner took the time. He never got pissed off that I said no. Um, and there's nothing wrong with getting pissed off. I mean, you, you know, every entrepreneur has every right to get pissed off when when people don't want to invest in their vision. And frankly, you know, when we were raising our fund. Back in 2003 and 2004, you know, I used to take it personally when people would say no to, to us, and so I totally understand that. But you know, to Abner's credit, he he was very positive. About, you know, the whole he, he managed to create a great relationship. He he listened to some of the things I said that I think resonated with him, rejected many of the things I said that didn't, and. Um, and built a, I think, a really good relationship to the point where, when we invested, I felt really good about being partners with him. So, to me, that's the best way to try to get us to invest money. But if you need the money in the next month and you come knocking on our door, it's highly unlikely that we're going to invest. Uh, this is not how we're wired in this firm. And uh, and so that's. Uh, Do you get that a lot, guys coming through and trying to push for a deal right away? I mean, yeah, sure. There's a lot of people who need it. 
you know, they're running out of money and, and you know, they can't keep the doors open unless they can get more money. Mm. That must be stressful. <laughs> it is. It's stressful for everybody. Mm. Um, actually, I'm interested to talk about uh, Boxy. Now, I, I actually started watching the movie, the Swedish movie that you mentioned, mm-hmm. and I think I ran into the exact problem that you had with it. You, you made a post on your blog about how it, how it can handle subtitles, and... Um, I thought it was pretty interesting what you said. Like, we will be able to soon get movies from anywhere in the world and watch them anywhere in the world with subtitles. I think that's exactly right. I um, I got the movie and started watching it with subtitles, and the subtitles were wrong. Is that what happened when you watched it? Yeah, I had some problems with it. You know, the the so what Boxy's doing is it's it's Boxy is just software that runs um, uh, either on your TV directly or on a device connected to your TV and. And they're getting the movie either from your hard drive if you downloaded it or from the web if it's streaming it. And then at the very same time, they're going out to an open subtitles database like opensubtitles.org and pulling in the subtitle and matching them up. And that's not perfect yet. Um, I think it will be perfect. No, no, no. But when I, I actually I got it with subtitles, and so the subtitles I got, it's actually the first time it's ever happened. The subtitles were translated by someone that could only half speak English. Ah. So I was like watching all these people speaking, and it was like confusing as to who was speaking and all this stuff. I'm like, huh, maybe that's what Fred ran into. Yeah. So I then had to go out and find different subtitles for it, and then it was like, okay, now I can follow. Now I'm not. Now it's not yeah. like I'm speaking to someone with an accent. It was very, very funny to have that. Is that what is that what happened to you? Or was it was a little bit different, uh, but but pretty much a similar experience. But what's, what's, what's powerful to me is not necessarily the experience that we're getting today in Boxy, but the idea that Boxy can connect all of these various services that are out on the Internet, whether it's Hulu or YouTube or, or Netflix or Amazon, opensubtitles.org, uh, other kinds of things, and, and you create an integrated experience for people um, that is better than the one they have today. No, I mean, I tried Boxy, and um, I've switched to Plex, and right now I really like Plex more. Um, I've got it working with a proper remote and things that I couldn't do with Boxy. Right. Um, I think overall it supports um, a lot of things better. Um, however, the thing that Boxy did brilliantly was um, I could be watching a movie and then say, huh, these subtitles aren't very good. Um, I want to go and watch it in Romanian, and it'll go out on the web and give me Romanian right. subtitles. Yeah, the, I think the Plex user interface is better right now. Um, and I think that uh, if you have a Mac, um, then then that may be the best solution right now. But you know, Boxy is available on Unix, Mac, Windows. Um, soon will be available on uh, Broadcom, Nvidia, and Intel-based devices, which will include TV sets and possibly also uh, a number of gaming consoles. So what Boxy is trying to do is be on every connected device, including the TVs themselves, and that's a lot of engineering that they're doing um, that uh, is, is really hard work. They also uh, have completely rebuilt the user interface, and the new version will be launching, I think, on November 19th, and it'll be interesting to see what you think then about Boxy versus Plex. Yeah, I'll, I'll play with it. Um, I, I mean, the open source community tends to be not very good at UIs, so my hope is that Boxy can really get it together and right. like totally dominate. Well, they, they, they hired a guy named Zach Klein, who was a founder of College Humor and uh, kind of ran product in, and uh, at College Humor and, and now is in a similar role at Boxy. And 
in just in the past month, um, Zach has, has really made a meaningful impact on the user experience. So I, I actually am quite um, excited uh, for when, when the, the new version of Boxy launches because I think people will be quite um, delighted with what the company is going to put out in the marketplace. I'll certainly play with it. I re- it will be hard to get me to switch from Plex, honestly. I really am happy with Plex because it does all That's the great. stuff I need. The one problem with it is it's pre-alpha. Right. And it's just not quite stable. And that's I see. The problem. So if Boxy can nail that down, then that would be that would be a good thing. But they got they got some, they got some work to do. Yep. Um, tell me, I'm interested from the this perspective of being a VC. Um, you have a finance background. How critical is it to have a strong finance background to be a VC? I don't think it's that important. You need somebody in your firm who has it, though. So I, I play that role in this firm. My partner Albert's pretty pretty uh, sophisticated financially too. My founding partner Brad. Uh, makes no bones about it. He's not a numbers guy. Uh, he's really a market and strategy kind of guy. So I don't think you need, I don't think every VC needs to, to, to have that skill set, but I think at least one of the general partners in the firm needs to be a finance-oriented mind so that the firm itself is always uh, including the financial aspects of, of the transactions they're doing um, in the decision-making process. I don't think that the financial aspects of the decisions are necessarily as important as people and product um, or people, product, and market, um, but uh, but they're critical nonetheless, and they need to be part of the investment process. Um, you made a post the other day talking about how um, good VCs need to be well-connected, connectors, and make mm-hmm. a do a lot of introductions and you had some concepts on how introductions should be done and I found that I'm actually rethinking how I do some things because that's that was very 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 interesting um, what would this, you say the other key elements are for being a good VC Rolodex I think is the uh, I think Rolodex and sales skills so I think what, what you need to you need to be able to do before anything else in the venture business is you need to be able to uh, reach lots of people reach the right people you need to do that to source deals, and you need that to do that to win deals, and you need to do that once you've made the investment to help the company succeed. So to me, Rolodex uh, is is the most important thing. And then uh, after that is, is salesmanship, the ability to convince an entrepreneur to take your money over someone else's money, and then also to help the entrepreneur uh, convince people to join their company and to convince other people to invest in their company, to convince business partners to do business. So those are those are really uh, the two most important skills. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, anything you want to talk about that we haven't covered? Mm, don't know. Uh, I think uh, we talked about a lot of interesting stuff. Okay, I'll ask you one last one then from the guys from last night, and it's the, I guess the standard VC question. Any um, or what what, com- what companies have you had the chance to invest in that you missed? Well, I'll talk about a couple companies here in New York uh, that we missed that that uh, you know in hindsight we should have invested in. Uh, two of the most exciting companies here in New York uh, that we're not investors in are Huffington Post and Gilt Group. Huffington Post, when it first got started, I thought it was a political blog. And didn't make much sense to me why um, it made sense for us to be invested in a political blog. Well, what I missed was that they were really using politics as 
the market entry strategy, and what they were really trying to do was reinvent what a news uh, service ought to be on the web. And I think they've done a better job than anybody else in really using the power of the web, everything from search, social media, user interface, uh, you know, commenting. They've just really done a great job there. And so um, now it's you know 20 million unique visitors a month, and you know probably the fastest growing news site on the web. That was a mistake. Uh, in hindsight, we didn't we didn't really imagine what that could be properly, and so we missed that one. The other one, Guild Group, um, is is basically blowout sales on the internet. It's a it's a uh, Essentially, a U.S.-based uh, knockoff, if you will, of the Bon Privé model, um, which is Bon Privé. Bon Privé is a maybe the most successful internet company in Europe right now. It's based in Paris, and it means private sale. And uh, oh, that, yeah. and um, and uh, Guild Group essentially is a uh, uh, a U.S.-based version of Bon Privé, and. I think what we missed there was the power of um, kind of blowout sales and, and how the internet could really, I mean, you know, there's always been blowout sales, right? You, you know, Lowman's or the Barney's sale or whatever, you know, and the stores will say, okay, right, you know, whatever, you know, and, 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 and um, people love that. But, but I think the, the interesting idea that Bon Privé invented that, that Guild Group and others have, have replicated is using the internet and the power of the real-time internet to say this is going to be available for the next hour and if you want it you got to come get it and it's very powerful merchandising and marketing and uh, and they've, they've executed brilliantly and it's a very big company now and it came along and you just said like it's not a strategic fit and yeah you know we're not you know we're not great e-commerce investors to be honest it's not our long suit and uh, and you know the whole notion of retailing, um, low margin, high high working capital business, the underlying financial uh, fundamental dynamics economics of that business is, 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 is never been that interesting to us. Um, and we we let those biases against e-commerce cloud our view of what what the guild group opportunity could be. And we're not an investor in that company. And, and you know I I, I regret that. Mm. Cool. Thank you. Thank you.